Episode 2, Chapter 2, The Separation and the Atonement. Welcome back. I hope you had a fantastic week so far. I'm looking forward to continuing what we started together. This text introduces ideas and understandings. At first, it seems somewhat vague, but I assure you, as you continue through the text, it gets explained in more depth. I'm not sure why they chose this format to talk about some incredible life choices, but it is part of the journey, so don't get discouraged. It's totally worth it, I promise. So chapter two, two starts with the origins of separation on page 17. So to, on paragraph one, to extend is a fundamental aspect of God, which he gave to his son. In the creation, God extended himself to his creations and imbued them with the same loving will to create. You have not only been fully created, but have also been created perfect. There is no emptiness in you. Because of your likeness to your creator, you are creative. No child of God can lose this ability because it is inherent in what he is, but he can use it inappropriately by projecting. The inappropriate use of extension or projection occurs when you believe that some emptiness or lack exists in you, that you can fill it with your own ideas instead of truth. This process involves the following step. First, you believe that what God created can be changed by your own mind. Second, you believe that what is perfect can be rendered imperfect or lacking. Third, you believe that you can distort the creations of God, including yourself. And last, fourth, you believe that you can create yourself and that the direction of your own creation is up to you. Paragraph two says these related distortions present a picture of what actually occurred in the separation or the detour into fear. None of this exists be, existed before the separation, nor does it actually exist now. Everything God created is like him. Extension as undertaken by God is similar to the inner radiance of, sorry, inner radiance that the child of the father inherit from him. Its real source is internal. This is as true of the son as it is of the father. In paragraph three, it says the Garden of Eden or the pre-separation condition was a state of mind in which nothing was needed. When Adam listened to the lies of the serpent, all he heard was untruth. Next page on page 18. Do not have, uh, sorry, all you heard was truth, uh, sorry, untruth. You do not have to continue to believe what is not true unless you choose to do so. In sentence six, it says, yet the Bible says that a deep sleep fell upon Adam and nowhere is there reference to him waking up. In sentence eight, it says such a rebirth is impossible as long as you continue to project or miscreate. It still remains within you, however, to extend as God extended his spirit to you. Paragraph four says all fear is ultimately reducible to the basic misperception that you have the ability to usurp the power of God. In sentence six in that paragraph says, if a light is suddenly turned on while someone is dreaming a fearful dream, he may initially interpret the light itself as part of the dream and be afraid of it. However, when he awakens, the light is correctly perceived as the release from the dream, which is then no longer accorded reality. This release does not depend on illusions. The knowledge that illuminates not only sets you free, but also shows you clearly that you are free. In paragraph five, sentence, sentence five, 
But remember the first principle in this course. There is no order of difficulties and miracles. In reality, you are perfectly unaffected by all expressions of lack of love. These can be from yourself and others, from yourself to others, and from others to you. Peace is an attribute in you. You cannot find it outside. The next section is the atonement as defense. Our right mind is part of our mind that is still connected to spirit. It is not our ego. Atonement is simply the removal of fear. It is referred to as the final lesson because once fear is removed, only true love exists. So in sentence, so paragraph one, sentence one, you can do anything I ask. I have asked you to perform miracles and have made it clear that miracles are natural, corrective, healing, and universal. There is nothing they cannot do, but they cannot be performed in the spirit of doubt or fear. In paragraph two, sentence four, it says, your right mind depends on it. Denial of error is a strong defense of truth, but denial of truth results in miscreation, the projections of the ego. Paragraph three says you can defend truth as well as error. The means are easier to understand after the value of the goal is firmly established. It is a question of what it is for. Everyone defends his treasure and will do so automatically. The real questions are what do you treasure and how much do you treasure it? Once you have learned to consider these questions and to bring them into all, all your actions, you will have little difficulty in clarifying the means. In paragraph four, sentence two, the atonement principle was in effect long before the atonement began. The principle was love and the atonement was an act of love. Next page, on page 20, on sentence eight, the atonement thus becomes the only defense that is not a two-edged sword. It can only heal. In paragraph five, the atonement was built into the time-space belief to set a limit on the need for the belief itself and ultimately to make learning complete. The atonement is the final lesson. Sentence seven in that same paragraph says, this will bring you into closer and closer accord with the sonship, but the sonship itself is a perfect creation and perfection is not a matter of degree. Only while there is a belief in differences is learning meaningful. Um, paragraph six, evolution is a process in which you seem to proceed from one degree to the next. You correct your previous missteps by stepping forward. This process is actually incomprehensible in temporal terms because you return as you go forward. The atonement is the device by which you can free yourself from the past as you go ahead. It, undoes your, it undoes your past errors, thus making it unnecessary for you to keep retracing your steps without advancing in your return. In sentence nine, until the atonement is complete, it vary, its various phases will proceed in time, but the whole atonement stands at time's end. At that point, the bridge of return has been built. In paragraph seven, sentence four, this is what I meant by the meek shall inherit the earth. They will literally take it over because of their strength. A two-way defense is inherently weak previously because it has two edges. 
and can be turned against you very unexpectedly. The possibility cannot be controlled except by miracles. The miracle turns the defense of atonement, the defense of atonement to your real protection. And as you become more and more secure, you assume your natural talent of protecting others, knowing yourself as both a brother and a son. The next section is the altar of God. I didn't make a comment on this one, but I have, um, I'll, I'll start with paragraph one, sentence one. The atonement can only be accepted within you by releasing the inner light. Sentence five says, perceiving the body as a temple is only the first step in correcting this distortion because it alters only part of it. It does recognize that atonement is, it, it does recognize atonement in physical terms is impossible. The next step, however, is to realize that a temple is not a structure at all. Its true holiness lies in the inner altar around which the structure is built. Sentence 10 says, the real beauty of the temple cannot be seen with the physical eye. 11, spiritual sight, on the other hand, cannot see the structure at all because it is perfect vision. It can, however, see the altar with perfect clarity. Paragraph 2 says, for perfect effectiveness, the atonement belongs at the center of the inner altar, where it undoes the separation and restores the wholeness of the mind. Paragraph 3 says, the acceptance of the atonement by everyone is only a matter of time. This may appear to contradict free will because of the inevitability of the final decision, but this is not so. You can temporize and you and you are capable of enormous procrastination, but you cannot depart entirely from your creator. On the next page. At the top says, tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. In paragraph four, spiritual vision literally cannot see error and merely looks for atonement. In paragraph 5, the children of God are entitled to the perfect comfort that comes with perfect trust. Until they achieve this, they waste themselves and their true creative powers on useless attempts to make themselves more comfortable by inappropriate means. But the real means are already provided, and you do not, and do not involve any effort at all on their part. <clears throat> and then sentence 9 in that same paragraph says, Whenever you are afraid... You are deceived, and your mind cannot serve the Holy Spirit. The next section is healing as release from fear. Um, and I wanted to say that healing is a result of finding your way back to who you truly are. Our bodies are only a vessel. They are not who we are. This book will refer to the physical body as form that has no power and zero importance in the eternal. Sentence one in paragraph one says, our emphasis is now on healing. The miracle is the means and the atonement is the principle and healing is the result. In sentence four, it says healing is not a miracle. The atonement or the final miracle is a remedy and any type of healing is a result. The kind of error to which atonement is applied is irrelevant. All healing is essentially the release from fear. To undertake this, you cannot be fearful yourself. You do not understand healing because of your own fear. In paragraph two, sentence four, only the mind is capable of error. The body 
can act wrongly only when it is responding to misthought. The body cannot create, and the belief that it can is a fundamental error, produces all physical symptoms. Physical illnesses represent a belief in magic. The whole distortion that made magic rests on the belief that there is a creative ability in matter which the mind cannot control. This error can take two forms. First, it can be believed that the mind can miscreate in the body or that the body can miscreate in the mind. And when it is understood that the mind, the only level of creation, cannot create beyond itself, neither type of confusion need occur. Paragraph 3 says the only the mind can create because spirit has already been created and the body is a learning device for the mind. Sentence 8 says the body is merely part of your experience in the physical world. Its abilities can be and frequently are overvaluated, over-evaluated. However, it is almost impossible to deny its existence in this world. Those who do so are engaging in a particularly unworthy form of denial. The term unworthy here implies only that is not necessary. We're going to the next page, page 24. Is not necessary to protect the mind by denying the mindful. If one denies this unfortunate aspect of the mind's power, one is also denying the power itself. Paragraph 5 says the value of the atonement does not lie in the manner in which it is expressed. In fact, if it is used truly, it will inevitably be expressed in whatever way is most helpful to the receiver. This means that a miracle to attain its full efficacy must be expressed in a language that the recipient can understand without fear. The next part is the function of the miracle worker. And so the term correction will be used over and over. It means a shift or change in how you think and what those thoughts create in relation to others. So I went to sentence seven in paragraph one. On the second page, it's on 25, it says, It is essential to remember that only the mind can create and that correction belongs at the thought level. To amplify an earlier statement, spirit is already perfect and therefore does not require correction. The body does not exist except as a learning device for the mind. This learning device is not subject to errors of its own because it cannot create. It is obvious then that inducing the mind to give up its miscreations is the only application of creative ability that is truly meaningful. In paragraph three, I have already said that miracles are expressions of miracle-mindedness, and miracle-mindedness means right-mindedness. Paragraph five at the very bottom says the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the next page, which would page 26, is to accept the atonement for himself. And then I actually jump to paragraph 9 on page 27. It's at the top. It says, Healing is an ability that developed after the separation before which it was unnecessary. Like all aspects of the belief in space and time, it is temporary. However, as long as time persists, healing is needed as a means of protection. This is because healing rests on charity and charity is a way of perceiving the perfection of another even if you cannot perceive it in yourself 
Number seven, sentence seven says, charity is essential to right-mindedness in the limited sense in which it can now be attained. Um, paragraph 10 says, charity is a way of looking at another as if he had already gone far beyond his actual accomplishments in time. Since, its own, since his own thinking is faulty, he cannot see the atonement for himself or he would have no need for charity. The charity that is accord him is both an acknowledgement that he needs help and a recognition that he will accept it. Both of these perceptions clearly imply their dependence on time, making it apparent that charity still lies within the limits of this world. And then I went to the last sentence there that says, this corrects uh, retrospect retroactively as well as progressively. Special Principles of Miracle Workers. So um, it says number 11. I said, so one says, the miracle abolishes the need for lower order concerns. Since it is an out of pattern time interval, the ordinary considerations of time and space do not apply. When you perform a miracle, I will arrange both time and space to adjust to it. Then I went to number 13 there. It says, never confuse right and wrong mindedness. Responding to any form of error without anything except a desire to heal is an expression of this confusion. 14 in sentence 3 and 14 says, pragmatically, what has no real effect, next page, which would be page 28, has no real existence. 15, sentence 5 says, forgiveness is an empty gesture unless it entails correction. Without this, it is essentially judgmental rather than healing. And I highlighted all of 16. Miracle-minded forgiveness is only correction. It has no element of judgment at all. The statement, Father, forgive them for they, do, for they know not what they do, in no way evaluates what they do. It is an appeal to God to heal their minds. There is no reference to the outcome of the error that that does not matter. 17 says the injunction, be of one mind, is the statement for revelation mind readiness. My request, do this in remembrance of me, is the appeal for cooperation for miracle workers. And the two statements are not in the same order of reality. Only the latter involves an awareness of time, since to remember is to recall the past in the present. 18 says, you can do much on behalf of your own healing and that of others. In a situation calling for help, you th think of it this way. So it's this little... A little passage says, I am here only to be truly helpful. I am here to represent him who sent me. I do not have to worry about what to say or what to do because who sent me, he will direct me. I am content to be wherever he wishes, knowing he goes there with me. I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. The next part is conflict, conflict and fear. Or sorry, I read it backwards. Fear and conflict on page 28. And I started at the top of page 29, actually. Sentence 7 says, This removes them from my control and makes you feel personally responsible for them. This is an obvious confusion of levels. Paragraph 2 says, I do not foster level confusion, but you must choose to correct it. You would not excuse insane behavior on your part by saying you could not help it. 
why should you condone insane thinking? There is confusion here that you would do well to look at clearly. You may believe that you are responsible for what you do, but not for what you think. The truth is that you are responsible for what you think, because it is only at this level that you can exercise choice. What you do comes from what you think. You cannot separate yourself from the truth by giving autonomy to behavior. This is controlled by me automatically as soon as you place what you think under my guidance. Whenever you are afraid, it is a sure sign that you have allowed your mind to miscreate and have not allowed me to guide it. Paragraph 3 says, It is pointless to believe that controlling the outcome of misthought can result in healing. When you are fearful, you have chosen wrongly. This is why you feel responsible for it. You must change your mind, not your behavior. And this is a matter of willingness. You do not need guidance except at the mind level. Correction belongs only at the level where change is possible. Four says the correction of fear is your responsibility. Sentence six in that same paragraph says you are much too tolerant of mind wandering and are passively condoning your mind's miscreations. The particular result does not matter, but the fundamental error does. The correction is, the correction is always the same. Before you choose to do anything, ask me if your choice is in accord with mine. If you are sure that it is, there will be no fear. Paragraph 5 says, Fear is always a sign of strain arising whenever you want conflicts that, sorry, whenever what you want conflicts with what you do. This situation arises in two ways. First, you can choose to do conflicting things either simultaneously or successively. This produces conflicted behavior, which is intolerable to you because the part of the mind that wants to do something else is outraged. And second, you can behave as you think you should, but without entirely wanting to do so. Page 30. Sentence 8. Whenever there is fear, it is because you have not made up your mind. Your mind is therefore split and your behavior inevitably becomes erratic. In paragraph 6, sentence 7, only your mind can produce fear. It does so whenever it is conflicted in what it wants, producing inevitable strain because wanting and doing are discordant. This can be corrected only by accepting a unified goal. So in 7, it says these uh, 7 sentence sentence 4 says these steps may be summarized in this way. Know first that this is fear. Fear arises from lack of love. The only remedy for lack of love is perfect love. Perfect love is the atonement. Paragraph 8 says I can I have emphasized that the miracle or the expression of atonement is always a sign of respect from the worthy to the worthy. Paragraph 9 says, Everyone experiences fear, yet it would take very little right thinking to realize why fear occurs. Few appreciate the real power of the mind, and no one remains fully aware of it all the time. In sentence 5, just a little bit further down, it says, It never sleeps. Every instant it is creating. It is hard to recognize that thought and belief combine into a power surge that can literally move mountains. Sentence 10 says you prefer to believe that your thoughts cannot exert real influence because you are actually afraid of them. 
And the last sentence in that section says, there are no idle thoughts. All thinking produces form at some level. The next section is cause and effect. And my little thoughts on this is, our thoughts play a huge role in how we perceive this world. We miscreate every day because we believe we are the sum of all of our parts. We mistakenly believe that our thoughts have truth and that they are not always our own. This can only be true for those who have reached atonement. Otherwise, the rest of us are making it up as we go along. Cause and effect. So paragraph one says, you may still complain about fear, but you nevertheless persist in making yourself fearful. I have already indicated you cannot ask me to release you from fear. I know it does not exist, but you do not. The next page, which would be page 32, 13, sorry, paragraph 3. Both miracles and fear come from thoughts. If you are not free to choose one, you would also not be free to choose the other. By choosing the miracle, you have rejected fear, if only temporarily. Sentence 10 says, The cause and effect principle now becomes a real expedier, though only temporarily. Actually, cause is a term properly belonging to God, and his effect is his son. In sentence 15, the conflict is therefore one between love and fear. Paragraph 4, sentence 4 says, The true resolution rests entirely on mastery through love. In the interim, however, the sense of conflict is inevitable. Since you have placed yourself in a position where you believe in the power of what does not exist. Paragraph 5 says, Nothing and everything cannot coexist. To believe in one is to deny the other. Fear is really nothing and love is everything. Whenever light enters darkness, the darkness is abolished. What you believe is true for you. And on the next page, uh, 33, paragraph, no, sorry, sentence 14, the statement, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, needs only one slight correction to be meaningful in this context. He gave it to his only begotten Son. In paragraph six, sentence four, however, this is obscured as long however, this is obscured as long as any of its parts is missing. That is why the conflict cannot ultimately be removed until all the parts of the sonship have returned. Paragraph seven says, I've already briefly spoken about readiness, but some additional points might be helpful here. Readiness is only the prerequisition prerequisite, sorry, for accomplishment. The two should not be confused. As soon as a state of readiness occurs, there is usually some degree of desire to accomplish, but it is by no means necessarily undivided. The state does not imply more than a potential for a, a change of mind. And the last sentence, sentence nine says, you may think this implies that an enormous amount of time is necessary between readiness and mastery, but let me remind you that time and space are under my control. The next part is the meaning of the last judgment. The so my so little thing I wanted to add is the most important part of this section is that judgment is not an attribute of God. 
Judgment Day is, the, is an evaluation of how you think you did. So um, I'm on page, I've moved to page 34, that's where I started. At the top, sentence five in that paragraph says, it also follows that whatever you alone make is real in your own sight, though not in the mind of God. This basic distinction leads directly into the real meaning of the last judgment. So the last judgment is one of the most threatening ideas in your thinking. This is because you do, not, you do not understand it. Judgment is not an attribute of God. It was brought into being only after the separation when it became one of the many learning devices to be built into the overall plan. Sentence 8 says, It is essential, however, that you free yourself from fear quickly because you must emerge from the conflict if you are, if you are to bring peace to other minds. Paragraph 3 says the last judgment is generally thought of as a procedure undertaken by God. Actually, it will be undertaken by both my brother, my brothers with my help. It is a final healing rather than a metting out of punishment, however much you may think that punishment is deserved. Punishment is a concept totally opposed to right-mindedness, and the aim of the last judgment is to restore right-mindedness to you. The last judgment might be called a process of right evaluation. Paragraph four says the first step towards freedom involves a sorting out of false from the true. This is a process of separation in the constructive sense and reflects the true meaning of the apocalypse. In paragraph five on page 35, the term last judgment is a frightening is frightening not only because it has been projected onto God, but also because of the association of last with death. This is an outstanding example of upside-down perception. If the meaning of the last judgment is objectively examined, it is quite apparent that it is really the doorway to life. No one who lives in fear is really alive. And then sentence eight, so at the end it says, the purpose of time is solely to give you time to achieve this judgment. It is your own perfect judgment of your own perfect creations. When everything you retain is lovable, there is no reason for fear to remain with you. This is your part in the atonement. So that is the end of chapter two. And... Remember that this book will introduce you to concepts, but will not leave it at just that. Atonement, miscreation, right-mindedness, our body is only form, are simply introduced here. This book will go deeper into these concepts as we move forward. I am not always going to make comments on each section of the chapters. I will do so to highlight a concept or a point being made. If you have any questions at any time, send me a message and I can share more of it if you'd like that. This is a journey. For me, it was a life-changing one. I hope you experience that too. Have a fabulous week and until next week, always love Denise.